welcome to all of you. Great to have you all um, with us today. I know it's quite tricky. As Emma said, usually what we do in the first one is we have a sort of drinks and we all sit around and chat a little bit because of the natures of COVID, we're having to do this. Um, but thank you and just want to really welcome you on behalf of everyone at One Tribe um, and also just um, just friends of friends, welcome as well. I know for some of you have probably been dragged here kicking and screaming um, by your relatives or your wives, no, not wives, wife or husband, um, and some of you of your own volition. But um, great to have you here. And in the, in the words of Henry VIII to one of his wives, I won't be keeping you long, so fret not. Um, I guess today's talk really is just an introduction, and th th we were looking at it in terms of, is there more to life than lockdown? And my mind goes back to a time, and this is a very old advert from the States back in the sort of mid-80s, mid-90s, I guess, um, and um, for Wendy's, the burgers, burger joints, I think we had one in Nairobi very briefly. And in it, the guy looks at his burger, and um, he eats his burger, and then he tries some other burger from another joint and takes a huge bite, and he looks really disappointed, and he goes, where's the beef? Where's the beef? And that's kind of the, the context of this talk for today, really, is just about where's the beef? And, you know, as we go through these really desperate times in Kenya at the moment, um, we've all got friends who have either died for COVID or relatives who died for COVID or people who are in ICU, um, and it's, it's a really tough time for people. But I think one of the really great sides of that is gives us time to reflect and think about those really big questions that often in life we don't have time to do because we're so busy running around chasing our tails. And also it's seldom that we're actually sort of locked down to our own house and can't get uh, and can't keep moving. And so today, really, it's, it's just ask some of those big questions. And, you know, it's not the first time human beings have wrestled with them, and it won't be the last time. But I think it's a great opportunity for us to do that and then decide what we do with those questions. Because I know for many of us, those big questions like, what are we here? Why are we doing it? Where are we going? Are those the most important questions in our lives? But we seldom have time to discuss them. And somebody once said that, you know, the whole process of human life is it's about filling in time between until the arrival of death or in some people's cases until Father Christmas turns up, you know, and that's that's their sole existence. And I remember seeing uh, one, one of these um, little documentaries of I think somewhere in Ghana or Nigeria where somebody was being buried in a spanking new 500 SL R Mercedes and somebody walked past him and said, now that's living. You know, what, what, is, what is life about? And I think there's a lot of things we, as we go through life and as we get older, we really realize. And the old saying that, you know, just because you win the rat race, you're still a rat, you know. And that's one of the descriptions for our generation is you just keep going and you'll get there somehow. And then you've got the very sort of nihilist point of view of Nietzsche, you know, the, the, the philosopher of, you know, God is dead, that, that sort of background. And he said, he talks about the nothing, um, das Niktig, nihilism. There is really at the end of the day, there is, this is all about nothing. Um, but Abel Camus talks very profoundly about man cannot live without meaning. And I think that applies to everybody. Whatever your background is, we need to have some, um, some meaning in our life in order to take us forward. And that's where we ask those really profound questions. And I guess where we start from is we're kind of beggars. I'm, a, I'm not saying I have all the answers. I certainly don't, as those who know me well. But I'm a beggar who's found food. And I'm saying, listen, guys, this is some of the food. What do you think about it? And I'd like to put things in a little bit of context that sometimes about our own importance sometimes. I'm not sure if you remember Voyager 2. Voyager 2 was um, launched 
way back in August 1977. And it's ostensibly been in space now for 44 years. So probably older than most of you. And it's traveling at a speed of about 34,000 miles an hour. I mean, it's whizzing. And for us to communicate with it, it takes about 16 and a half hours of um, the communication going at the speed of light. So it is very, very far away. And in 1989, it passed Neptune. There's a point to where I'm going with this. Um, and it left our heliosphere in, I'm not sure if you remember this big article, the end, end of 2018. It left our heliosphere. So it's right at the edge, edge of our solar system. And they reckon it's about 18 billion kilometers away from our Earth. Um, and it's moving 290 million miles every year. So this thing is moving. And um, it's, it's, it's at the edge of our solar system. You've got to remember our solar system is around one star, and that's the sun. And um, they reckon in our particular galaxy, there's tens of billions of solar systems. Okay, so this thing has been speeding for the last 44 years, and it's just getting to the edge of our solar system. And that's about as much as we know. And our solar system is one of tens of billions of solar systems in our galaxy. Um, and our Milky Way, which is a, a collection of, uh, of probably billions of solar systems, they reckon is one of 100 to 200 um, billion galaxies. And that is just the reason I mention that is sometimes you you put things in perspective and you and you think the world revolves around us. But actually, in the context of time and history, we are very, very, very small and perhaps of little consequence, you might think. So the question is, why are we interested in somebody who lived 2,000 years ago, um, probably 2,000 miles away from where we are today? And this person who, you know, Jesus, who, as Kenyans, you know, it's quite interesting. If you give this talk in the UK or America, you have to explain who Jesus is. We all grew up knowing who Jesus is. We might not agree with, with, with much of it, but we, we know who he is. And who is this person who affects our calendar, our legal system, the fact that hospitals, schools, universities, mass printing came out of, out of, out of his work. Um, the very concepts of human rights came out of his, um, out of his teachings. He's inspired artists. He's inspired musicians from Bach to Kanye and even to Giuliani. You know, who is this Jesus? And that's kind of where we start from. And I think a lot of people, when we start talking about Christianity, particularly um, our generation in Kenya, think, one, it's boring. They think it's untrue. They think it's irrelevant. They think it's a crutch for the really weak. Well, that's why you, you use it, because you're pretty shenzy otherwise. Or particularly for my, my peers, we had this inoculation, um, you know, a bit like the, the COVID vaccine, which kind of, we got a little bit and it prevented and it gave us enough antibodies to put off the real disease. And so we had this inoculation from our culture, from our parents, from our school. We've seen this sort of legalism, which many of us have resented. Um, we see politicians every day of the week claiming to be Christians and then doing the most God, the most God awful things. We see the biggest charlatans in some of these crusades. And you think, gosh, you know what? This is not for me. And this thing is so far from what it's meant to be. And we kind of drift through life. And I remember once I was on a, uh, in the tube in London and everyone had fallen asleep and this Jamaican guy got on and he just, he was slightly drunk, but he just shouted, wake up, you've all been bitten by a tetsy fly. As in, we've all got sleeping sickness. And we've kind of, this whole thing that maybe we just drift through life in a sort of slight haze. A lot of people also just say, well, listen, you know, great about Christianity. I'm glad it's good for you, but it's not good. You know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work for me. And these are some of the things we begin to look at. 
and particularly the irrelevant side. I remember there's an article in Private Eye, this um, spoof sat um, satirical magazine, and it went like this, and it said, God to leave the Church of England. Following examples set by um, leading former Anglicans, God has indicated that he too is to leave the Church of England. Friends of God believe the issue of women priests to have behind the Almighty's sudden decision to convert to Rome. According to sources close to God, he's been unhappy for some time with the direction of the Anglican Church has been taking and has now finally had enough. A Church of England spokesman said, losing God, losing God is a bit of a blow, but it's just something we're going to have to learn to live with. You know, this idea, even within the church, that God is kind of irrelevant. And for other people, it's an insurance policy. Woody Allen, one of the favorite quotes I love from him, says, listen, I don't believe in the afterlife, but I do change my underwear just in case. You know, it's a little, little bit of a security. We need it there. Um, as a very, one of the sort of greatest living um, columnists of our generation, well, actually our previous generation, Bernard Levin, um, who was not a Christian, um, but he said this, and he says, for the 14,000th time, I'm telling you, I'm not a Christian. But countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside them. And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff it with, However many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges, it aches. And I think that's where kind of a lot of us find ourselves in that. And one of, one of my sort of heroes, Leo Tolstoy, um, mid-1800s, died in the early 1900s, um, and without doubt, one of the greatest authors of all time, you know, from War and Peace and Anna Karenin, um, he wrote a book called the, A Confession, in which he tells his life story and his search for meaning and for the good life. And as you know, those who've done philosophy, philosophers have spent their existence working out what is the good life. And it's not too dissimilar, to be honest, to what Solomon did in the book of Ecclesiastics. He, he describes how he rejected Christianity as a child, and then he became very ambitious, and he thought, well, maybe pleasure um, and having a great time is going to fulfill me and give me the good life. And so he entered this sort of swirl of Moscow and St. Petersburg's, and he parted like a rock star, I guess, back in the day. Um, and he just found it wasn't particularly satisfying. And then he thought, well, maybe, maybe money's the answer. And by that stage, he was an international author and had made tens of millions by modern day money out of his books. Um, but he still found that money didn't really take away that ache. And then he thought in a very, I think, very Kenyan way, um, you know, success, fame, importance, all those sort of things will give me some form of meaning. And um, at that time, he became, he was already the greatest novelist of his time. But again, he found that didn't particularly satisfy him. And then he thought, well, maybe some really healthy things like having a family, you know, give my children the best they can have, the best life. He married, um, had 13 children, um, which I think at some stage he, he admitted was perhaps not um, going to help him at, achieve his search for life, looking after all of those. Um, but he still found that things were sort of kind of missing. And I think like a lot of us, he sort of mixed up the benefits of life with the purpose of life. And um, he had this one question he came to finally. He said, what meaning has my life that the inevitability of death does not destroy? What meaning has my life that the inevitability of death does not destroy? And I think that's a question that we're all asking now in this time of COVID. And um, he thought, he'd, final crack, he would try looking into science and philosophy. And he came up with this question. And he, and he says, science says, um, 
why do I live? And, he, and this was his scientific response was, and it's, it's, it's quite profound, but fundamentally hollow. In the infinity of space and the infinity of time, infinitely small particles mutate with infinite complexity. And that's kind of the reductionist argument, which is everything just reduced down to these little small little quarks, and that's the sum total of life. But he found that, again, particularly unsatisfactory. And as he went around the country, around Russia, he spent a lot of time with peasants, um, not pheasants, peasants as they called them back then. And um, he found the answer he was looking for, which was their faith in God um, through Jesus Christ. And that was when he became a Christian. And it's very, I think his, if you can read the confession, it's very telling about somebody who's tried all the things that we perhaps aspire to and ended up with a conclusion that was one that I guess he wasn't expecting. And I think our parents' generation, you know, you know, that for them, work was perhaps the meaning of life. You do your, do your 40 years, you get your golden watch at the end of the career, and you have a few years of retirement. Um, I think we're very lucky we haven't had to do that. Our generation has had the luxury of making choices um, outside work, perhaps because of what our parents had done for us. Um, and um, I think that's something, you know, we've realized that. I, there's a story, of course, of the, <coughs> the person who was in the Caribbean and um, met a fisherman on the beach and asked the fisherman, you know, what do you do? And he says, well, um, and the guy was playing his guitar. He says, well, I'm a fisherman. And um, the, the guy was a particularly good entrepreneur. He says, well, um, why don't you fish a little bit more during the day? And then you could sell some and you'd have some cash. And the fisherman goes, um, and then what will I do? Well, so then when you make some money, you can um, buy a bigger boat and um, you can hire some crew. And he goes, yes. And then what will I do? Well, then you can have a fleet of boats and you can go out and they can fish 24-7 and you can get a lot of money. And the fisherman was like, yes. And then um, what, what do I do then? And he goes, well, at that stage there, I could probably do an IPO for you and we can make a shed load of cash. And the fisherman was like, yeah, and then what? And he goes, well, and the guy goes, well, then the joy of this whole thing is you sell it and then you go and find a beach somewhere and you can sit and chill on a beach. <laughs> and that's kind of where we're at sometimes, which is we, we're, we're chasing the wind um, without even knowing it. And there's a certain degree of emptiness that comes with it. Freddie Mercury, who you all know, born and raised in Zanzibar, um, lead singer of the Queen band, you know, he amassed a huge fortune, attracted thousands, if not millions of fans. But just before his death, and um, you remember he died of, he was one of the first guys to die of AIDS, he said this, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Jim Carrey, the comedian you all know, said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. And of course, that great philosopher, Russell Brand, said, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up the hole inside of me. And, you know, we can fill our lives with various very virtuous things, you know, promotions, work, job, family, um, other things, maybe some of the idols of age, celebrity, consumerism, individualism, all those sort of things. But fundamentally, we will have that little gap in our lives. Um, and what, I guess one of the things we look at during this course, and we'll come on to it, is going back to that thing of the good life. And a guy called Ken Myers said this. He said, the good life, in its best sense, is a life aligned with, suffused with, guided and animated by the good. I don't think anyone would have a problem with that. 
And it goes on. And of course, there is only one who is good. And see, Jesus basically says, I'm the bread of life. And he said further on, I said, I'm the one person who can satisfy that hunger. And um, he says, you know, that little hunger you have, that little niggling you have, he offers a solution to it. And St. Augustine talks about God formed us for himself and our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. And I think that's, that's quite an interesting way of looking at it. There's a restlessness in us, which we try and fill with so many things, but we haven't quite found the solutions to. And the Japanese talk about how we have two stomachs. They have, you have one stomach for good things and the other one for rice, which is where you get satisfied. I guess some of our friends from other parts would say ugali and chicken, but you know, it's that idea that you have two stomachs. One is for those little treats, but the real thing that satisfies is ugali or rice, you know, that one stomach there. And I think that's where we, we come from in terms of um, where God would want to be in our lives. And Jesus made this claim about himself. He said, I'm the, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the light. Now, what did he mean by that? I just want to put it in context without going into a sermon, because today isn't about a sermon. Um, by the way, he just says, by, by saying he's the way, he says he can give direction to this lost world, you know, because he is the way. Now, there's three fears, fundamental fears of the human condition. One is everyone fears meaningless. Everyone fears death. Um, Woody Allen's one of the quotes I love from Woody Allen again was, he doesn't mind dying. He just doesn't want to be there when it happens. Um, Everyone fears guilt, and some people fear, you know, fear spiders. But I think you know, meaningless death and guilt are, are three of the sort of main things that the human condition we fear about. And what do we seek as humans? We seek a certain degree of freedom. We seek freedom from addiction. We fear, we seek freedom from guilt. Um, we seek freedom from fear because we don't live in fear. And we we seek freedom to love, so we can love people and love love the world around us, and maybe love God. The freedom to know God and also the fundamental freedom to change is one of the things that is constant amongst humans. And I guess when Jesus talks about I am the truth, that's kind of where we come to with this course, which is, listen, let's have a look at it. If it's a pile of pants and not real, that's not a problem. But if it is true, then we have to do something about it. And C.S. Lewis um, had this wonderful statement. He said, Christianity is a statement which... If false is of no importance, and is if and if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it can't be is moderately important. I'll just repeat that. Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance and consequence, and if true, of infinite importance. The one thing it can't be is moderately important. So that was a monkey trying to get into my into our dining room. Um, only in Kenya. So, you know, I think this is one of the things about COVID. It gives us this time to really reflect about these things and find out whether these things are, are true or not. And of course, there's very intelligent atheists and there's very intelligent Christians. But I think it's beholden on us to make, to take that challenge up ourselves. Um, we look at some of the people who have been behind um, some of the greatest thinking in this world. Um, if I just look at science for a minute, we look at some of the pioneers, Descartes, Newton, Kepler, Galileo, Copernicus, Boyle, all these guys you studied at school and university, Pasteur, Maxwell, James Simpson, the guy who invented anesthesia. All these guys were Christians. What kind of drove them to support something which many people they think was not true, and yet they're people who just follow a very science and pragmatic way of thinking? And someone asked Professor Simpson, uh, as I said, the guy who invented anesthetics, 
anesthesia, said, um, of all the discoveries you've made, which of them was the greatest? He said, well, actually, the greatest discovery I ever made was the day I discovered Jesus Christ. Another person who's um, more contemporary, I guess, is a chap called um, Francis Collin, who is the director of the Human Genome Project. They're the guys who have managed to decode our DNA, and um, you've seen the diagrams of it. And he's run that project and continues, and is probably the leading uh, genetic biologist in the world at the moment. And he talks about how his nature is to investigate evidence. That's why he's looked at the DNA, and he looked at the historic evidence of Jesus Christ, and one day... He says he was out walking and he just got down on his knees because he realized that it was true and he couldn't put it off anymore. Um, and I think for those of us who are lawyers, um, one of my heroes is probably Lord Denning. You've probably heard of him, who was probably the greatest legal brain, certainly in the Western world, um, and a, an amazingly strong Christian as well. And he, I, there's a lovely picture of him with all these books behind him, tomes and tomes of legal writings and um, cross-reference and precedents and rulings, and the most tattered one right in the middle was his Bible. And I think um, when Jesus talks about the truth, he's, not, he's talking more than just an intellectual truth. Um, he's talking about truth that is experienced. And there's a big difference between intellectual knowledge and personal knowledge, you know, in the same way that I could, um, I could tell you about my wife, but I couldn't really tell you you know, you'd have, to, you'd have to know her. I could, I could give you a CV. We've all got CVs, but how much do they really reflect who you are as a person? Um, or you can get in a car and drive it, but if you don't know how it works, you know, you just know the car works, but you have no idea how it works. And I think it's one of those things where we have to change how we look at, um, how we look at truth and take it from being intellectual, which is great, but also marry it with um, a degree of experience as well. And then he talks about finally him being the truth, um, the life. Um, and I guess the freedom is what he's, he's talking about there, which I mentioned earlier. And we all make mistakes, you know, um, most of them are relatively harmless and some of them are even amusing. Um, I think there's a big difference between mistakes we make and things we do wrong. And I just want to give you some examples from, um, you know, GCSEs, some of the mistakes that have come up recently um, in GCSE exams, uh, which are quite, quite relevant to some people at the moment. One of them, in the book of the Bible, Genesis, Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree. One of their children, Cain, asked, am I my brother's son? Another wrote, um, Moses led the Hebrew slaves to the Red Sea, where they made unleavened bread, which is bread made without any ingredients at all. Moses went up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. He died before he ever reached Canada. Uh, and another wrote, um, the Greeks were a highly sculptured people, and without them, we wouldn't have history. The Greeks also had myths. A myth is a female moth. And finally, um, somebody wrote, Socrates was a famous Greek teacher who went around giving people advice. They killed him. Socrates died from an overdose of wedlock. After his career, his, after his death, his career suffered a dramatic uh, decline. Um, and uh, sorry, I've got one more about Bach, who I particularly like. Um, he was a musical, wrote musical compositions and had a large number of children. In between, he practiced, practiced on an old spinster, which he kept up in his attic. Bach died from 1750 to present. So I think we all make relatively harmless mistakes, but um, it's, the, it's the things we do wrong that really matter. And, um, and certainly that's something that leads to a certain degree of guilt. Um, Alex, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was again another um, Russian um, activist and, and uh, author, wrote, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, 
right through every heart and through all human hearts. I think that's so appropriate for where we are as Kenya. The line passing through good and evil passes not through states, nor classes, nor tribes, nor political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. Um, and I think when we look at this, it's we, as we go through this course, we start trying to work out what is good and evil, what is the purpose, what does God have a line for you? What is his purpose for you? And in the process, he sorts out some of the bad stuff. One of the guys who, um, and I'm, I'm coming into land, don't worry, who certainly the musicians amongst you will know is Alex um, Cooper, who is the rock musician and, you know, lived a pretty rowdy life. And he said this, Alex Cooper has a dark secret. The 53-year-old rocker is a Christian. Um, and he talks about, he says, it was, it's been easy combining religion and rock. Um, it's the most rebellious thing I've ever done. Drinking beer is easy. Trashing your hotel room is easy. But being a Christian, now that's a tough call. That's a real rebellion. And I think one of the things that will come out of this course as we, as we go forward is the hope that we believe um, Christianity offers. And if I could quote... Um, I'm not sure many of you know Bishop Festo um, Kevangeri, who was the Bishop of Kigezi in Uganda during the horrible times um, of Amin when um, Archbishop Lawum was, was killed and murdered, well, executed by Amin, not even murdered, just executed straight out. And one day, um, his daughter goes into the kitchen and sees his mom and, says, um, and asks, what does God do all day? And the mother... Um, this is Bishop Fester's wife, says, darling, I'll tell you what God does all day. He spends his whole day mending broken things. And that includes us. And that's, I think, one of the things you'll really appreciate of this course during this particular time is giving us the time to realize that there is there's hope in all of this madness and um, dark times that are going on at the moment. Um, what we do is, as, a, as the course, um, just give you a rough format of how the course works. There's usually a talk. Um, there is always a talk. And it covers such things as, you know, who is Jesus? Why did he die? How can you have faith? How do I pray? Um, and so forth. Does God heal today? What about the church? And there's a talk. And then you break up into small little groups. And we'll do that online as well. It's very easy to do. And we basically just tear the course apart, um, tear, the, tear the talk apart. And it's really the way we look at it is like you're the jury. This is the evidence. You decide. You know, there's no pressure either side. It's non-threatening. It's, it's, it might be challenging, but it's not threatening. It gives you the space to really discuss some of these questions that perhaps you've not had the time to do and to reach your own conclusions. Because without doubt, these are the most important decisions you'll ever make. And one of the things I'll tell you from experience is God just meets you where you're at. If you're coming in as a full-on atheist, he meets you there. He, he, he's big enough not to be challenged by that. Conversely, if you're somebody who's been brought up in a, in a very strong Christian family, but you've had doubts about various things, it will really help you work through some of those things and see um, if you can reach your own conclusions rather than those you're, you're, you've, you've inherited. Um, and I think what the, the joy is at the end of it, you make your decision based on something that's an, an informed basis. So don't leave your brain behind. Bring your brain there. We're really encouraging people to think and wrestle through. And remember, there's no dress rehearsals for this life. This is your one chance to do it. We might not have another chance, you know, because COVID will be lifted. You'll be out doing life again and carrying on. Um, and it's a great chance to just to really see fundamentally, um, is Christianity true? Because it's not about whether it works for you. It's not about whether it works for other people. The bottom line is if it's true. If it's true, you're going to have to do something about it. If it's not true, heck, just carry on with life. And there you go. 
And I just want to finish with um, two things. One was this quote from um, G.K. Chesterton, um, who said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has, it has been found difficult and left untried. And I think just that's something which I'd really encourage you to, um, in, in terms of signing up for the course, is to give it this chance to, to try it. And um, there's no skin off anyone's back if you, if you walk away from it. But I do think it's something that you'll thank yourself for later, even just for having interrogated it. So I'll sort of come into land with that. A little bit about um, where it goes from here is just so that we can organize logistics. There'll be in the chat, there'll be a registration if you want to sign up. We will meet every Thursday at 7 p.m. Um, we commit to being a maximum of two hours, so it's finished by then. Um, and as I said, you have the talk and then discussion, so probably finish earlier because we don't have the dinner like we normally do. And it runs for about um, eight, nine weeks. And uh, as I said, we cover all those quite interesting and profound um, topics during that time. It's entirely free. None of us are making any money out of this, or um, and it's entirely um, non-denominational. We don't belong to Alpha. Isn't owned by any particular denomination. There's Catholics who do it. There's Protestants. Um, there's Presbyterians, Baptists, atheists. You name it. So it's not linked to anybody. It's just creating a space um, to discuss some of the really profound questions. More often than not, we'll be doing a video. So sometimes one of us will speak on a particular topic, which is close to our hearts, but otherwise there's some very great videos, which I think you'll enjoy as well. So there we go. And um, we'd just really encourage you to sign up. And um, I think um, it should be coming up. Follow this link to sign up there. It's already there on, on Church Suite. There we go. So I just want to say a big thank you to you guys. And thanks for making the time to come tonight. Um, and um, yeah, give us some thought. Sign up, and then if you don't show up, you don't show up. But um, I'd suggest you just sign up and come and give it a crack and try the first talk and see how it goes. If it, if it um, if it's something that tickles your fancy, you carry on. And if you don't, there's no pressure to not carry on. So that's kind of it. And um, hope to see you guys there in, in next week, seven p.m. Great. Keep safe, guys. And um, I won't do a public health announcement. You've had enough of those already. So there we go. As I said, in the link there, just click on it. And I guess we'll keep it up um, for the next half an hour or something so, so that people can um, click on it. And then just, it basically just ask for your name, email, um, so that we can send you information. Great. Emma, is there anything or Bernice you want to add to that? No, Chris, I just want to say thank you so much. It was a really great talk. Um, I think definitely lots uh, to whet our appetite with. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I certainly already have a few questions from uh, Chris's talk. And uh, I think instead of trying to deal with them now, um, uh, yeah, I think we would just really encourage you to come with those, any questions that you do have for next week. Um, and as Chris said, um, absolutely no obligation at this point to um, endure 10 weeks. But I think we would really encourage you to just give it a go and see what you think. Um, and I think certainly from my experience of having um, done a number of these alpha courses before is apart from anything, I think it's just really good to be able to network and to meet people and to have a good even good friends that you come out of this course as well. So um, I think there is quite a diverse group already, even on this in on this group already. So I really look forward more than anything just to kind of get to know you all a bit better. And so, yeah, I think as Chris said, we really just hope that uh, you just give it a try and absolutely no commitment and no pressure at all if uh, if it's not for you. Um, but 
But yeah, and I think uh, just on the logistics side as well, once you have signed up, we will also just be in contact via either email or WhatsApp just to give you kind of more logistic logistics information just to keep you in the loop and to remind you of timing as well. Um, but again, thank you very much, Chris. And thank you all for making the time to join this uh, first uh, session on Alpha.